Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Okay, so it's a party. Yes. But about TV. Yes. Join us every Monday for TV Party, where we'll talk about the news of the moment, the best episodes of the week, and what we can't wait to find sitting on our DVRs. We'll also chat with actors, writers, and experts about TV, elect classic characters to our Hall of Faces, deep dive into full seasons of some great shows, and more. Find us at Consequence of Sound, iTunes, or wherever you procure fine podcasts. Oh, Clint, one more thing. Is it open bar? It's BYO. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to this week's episode of This Must Be The Gig. I'm your host, Leo Phillips. Welcome back. And for all the podcast people out there, if you're just tuning in for the first time, this show is really your backstage pass to the world of live music. I want to show you the ins and the outs of the process. And I'm going to do that through interviews with legendary artists and amazing set designers and choreographers. And after this episode, please make sure to go back a few weeks and just binge. Like, like you do your Netflix, just podcast binge. The countless stories about the one gig that has changed people's lives. I've got from uh, David Byrne to Shirley Manson of Garbage and many more amazing artists. And really just find out which song it was and which venue it happened at. All the thrilling details. Make sure to tell me about your life-changing moment as well on Instagram or Facebook at TMBTGPod. And I don't have my sidekick here, engineer, producer, Adam, but I can still say at TMBTGPod. It's not the same. It's not the same. But don't forget to write it up in a five-star review on iTunes, on Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This week, I am reporting to you live from the ridiculously delightful and very sunshiny Portugal. I'm recording in my very own Portuguese palace, I mean hotel room. Um, I'm in Lisbon and I'm going to keep this extra short, uh, like a little Portuguese midday nap, as I'm rushing out the door to get to Nossa Live Festival, which I'm covering. But I've been here taking in the sights and the sounds, the local scene, and I've eaten the entire ocean 
of fish. Give me all your fish, Portugal. I also experienced plenty of breathtaking moments and I've got such an incredible interview to share with you this episode. I was lucky enough to sit down with the brilliant Lauren, Ian and Martin of Churches a few hours before their performance in, in Lisbon. And I finally got to hear the new album Love Is Dead live. And boy, yo, the love I have for those songs ain't dead. You know, we, we chat about so much about the build up to that record, how to keep yourself really entertained in festival green rooms and so much more. This is me, Ian, Lauren and Martin, live from Portugal. Enjoy. Obrigada. Bye. Let's actually introduce yourself so that our listeners can know who's talking. Yes, my name is Lauren. I'm Martin. And I'm Ian. Thanks. So when you said you got here last night. Do you usually have like a day before your festivals? Do you usually have something to, you know, a little bit of a break? Uh, not usually, no. There, it's just that the show tonight is at like quarter to three in the morning or something so that's kind of like yeah we kind of got an accidental day off which was nice because it seems nice here yeah and we've been playing a lot of festivals so it's nice to like i had a shower that was plugged into the ground today <laughs> like it was in wow. a building and like so that's really rare at this point in the summer so i think it's yeah so good to up. mention how beautiful this hotel is so it's, it's very fancy yeah, it's i didn't know how to work the curtains why the curtains were some like weird th- mechanism i've never seen it before I figured it out eventually. Pulled on mine. Yes, Is it well, it turns out that's what it's supposed to. I don't know. I just like pulled them shut. So, <laughs> so basically, you've broken the curtain. Oh yeah, yeah. There's like a thing at the side that you're supposed to use. It's like a pulley thing. I don't know. <laughs> How often do you play shows that are that late? Is that a silly question to ask? I suppose because it really is quite late in the day uh, to be playing. You obviously can't choose when you're playing, but how do you? How do you manage to stay awake? I think that's my question. I think it's kind of common in Spain and Portugal for festivals to run this late. I think it's highly unusual everywhere else in the world. We were on late at Primavera, really late. And I guess it must be informed by the same way as like some shops and stuff shut in the afternoon. Is that I think that's because of the heat? Well, they have like a siesta. siesta Yeah, they have like a nap. I guess if your festival's not starting till like. 7 p.m. Yeah. Mm. Then it makes sense to finish it. We're playing till 4 a.m. today. Wow. The sun will be, like, fully coming up. (laughs) I like that. That big audible sigh. That's great. (laughs) I'm sorry. (sighs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I think it'll be good. And it's been a lot. We've had a really good festival experience here before, a few years ago. So um, hopefully it'll be similar. And I kind of feel like the tiredness, as soon as it's, like, time for the show, you don't, Mm. you know, you don't feel tired anymore. It's like the sitting around beforehand, making conversation, napping on the floor, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, like we're very lucky. It's a good job to have, I would say. I remember Absolutely. it being like a kind of arcade game of crowd surfers, yeah. like security versus the crowd surfers the last time we played here. Where and did it you was play? like a stream of people coming down this natural oh amphitheater. Okay. And it was kind of on a bit of a slope, so I feel like if people started crowd surfing further back, they just gained so much momentum yeah. that they were like crushing wee lassies at the front, which wasn't 
I didn't like that that much. But I appreciate yeah. their enthusiasm. I'm like, just don't, you know, <laughs> Thanks for being one so person's gig experience is not more important than another. You're all in it together. Everyone mm-hmm. just cooperate. You know. Well, Do you some of them got their comeuppance on the night. Yeah. Literally. Do you ever like have to stop a show if you see people getting like kind of squished in the front row? Because I've obviously seen you play all over the world and I've covered you everywhere and people are nuts for you. They re- <laughs> And even me, like in the pit taking photos, I get squished even by the other mm-hmm. photographers because they like have to get their shot, you know? So do you ever stop and, and say something or has, ever, has that ever happened? Very, very rarely. I think people are generally pretty good. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think we're pretty lucky. Like generally we have a really like cool, respectful, thoughtful mm. fan base. Like once every so often something will happen and then I do kind of feel like it's your job because we see stuff that security might not see. Might not something. see, exactly. So, you have this like vantage I don't know. point. I guess, and I've, I don't know. I know other people have different opinions on it but I kind of feel like my job is to sing the songs and stuff, but it's also mm. to kind of run the show to an extent. And if you see something happening, you then, you know, you're never... Something. If somebody is intent on creating a circle, but then they will continue to do that. And mm. then if you, if I specifically tell them not to, they're not going to enjoy that anyway. Mm. But it's more about kind of alerting security to it, because, mm. you know, sometimes... I've been a tiny... I am a tiny person at shows. <laughs> and are, sometimes yeah. I'm like, I'm totally down for everyone having a good time whatever mm. way they want, but, you know... Just gotta make sure that people don't get bloody noses. And yeah, it's not and you know, it drowning pool. It's churches. There's never been a circle pit at a church show for no, that matter. When people are starting yeah. fights and stuff, then you, I stop yeah. when there's fights. I've seen a few bros like fighting each Have other. Have you? Aye, but once it like we're ta- you're talking about once every three hundred gigs here. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. But I suppose everybody, you know, every artist that I've spoken to is completely different. They either see it as their responsibility to say something or they're like, fuck that, I'm just here to do my show and then they leave, which is strange. Yeah, it seems, I mean, it does seem odd to turn a blind eye to stuff that you can see going on, I suppose, especially if people are actually in danger, you know. It's one thing if people are just having fun and enjoying themselves, but that's a very different conversation. Yeah. It happens so rarely for us, like it's not really like we have to have a policy on it, but I Mm. kind of feel like when it does happen, the person, the innocent person in that situation came to the show to see your band, you know? Totally. And I feel like that's why it makes it your problem. So it's easy Mm. for somebody to be like, well, it's not for me to just talk about, I'm just playing the show. I'm like, yeah, but at the end of the day, that person bought a ticket and came down here and took it. Just like you did, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And if you don't do anything about it, what's within your power to do something about it, then... Even if it's just to like flag it so then the security guys are watching that can area. do something, you know, because otherwise they leave feeling like sad about the experience that they had at your yeah. show. So it's true. And then the, the one fan's like, "Oh, I got crushed at a church's show." It's like, <laughs> no, it's horrible. But some terrible things. I know that we can you can make light of it, but terrible things can happen at shows, especially for women. Like I know, uh, working at these shows, the amount of like men I've had to like you know be so aggressive toward and also seeing like people just fighting because you know you get drunk at festivals and there's so (laughs) much stuff that happens did you guys start out as fans going to festivals or going to just one-off concerts from where you're from obviously everybody will be different but how did your experience of seeing live music start um, it started before, younger than when I was old enough to go to festivals. So. <laughs> but eventually you? I did. Yeah, I guess, what, I think I was 14 in my first show. Hmm. And then, uh, you know, later on, as you get a little bit older, you, t- you tend to gravitate towards festivals because they provide good value for money. <laughs> yeah. And you can get away from your mum and dad and you can get like, pissed all weekend and <laughs> all that. But 
I don't know. Well, like, I guess when you live show. in Glasgow, there's a lot of there's like a mm. lot of bands come through anyway, so you tend to see most of what you want to see. Mm. First show was Oasis. No way! At fourteen. Yeah. Did uh, your parents know that you were going? Yeah, I won tickets on the radio station. Oh. Uh, the radio station. Yeah. That is amazing. But, they, but they, it, it, actually, there was a riot at that gig, and they they went walked off stage after like forty minutes. That's Glasgow. Yeah. Who so Oasis walked off stage? Yeah, yeah. Someone hit oh, Liam nice. Gallagher with a bottle, if I remember rightly. Wow. Well, I mean, here's why a bit of a drama. Why were there bottles in the venue? Because <laughs> people sneak alcohol into gigs, <laughs> Oasis gigs especially. Yeah. Was it you? Are you making an admission now? Um, I don't think I had booze, no. Uh, but I, I, I was <laughs> sitting really far away in the seats. And uh, yeah. my uh, enduring memory is like all the people being really upset when they wouldn't come back on and then ripping the seats out of the thing at what? the SECC. Was he hurt? No, he was fine. Oh, I think he was like lobbed in the face with like a glass, <laughs> glass bottle and I was like, I would stop playing yeah, if someone hit playing. me in the face yeah. with a glass bottle. I don't, I don't know what type of bottle it was. I think it was more of a, I'm like the king of this gig and now that you've yeah. insulted me, I'm not coming back on situation. <laughs> Feel and like uh, the story could be really people got really now. upset. You'd probably do that now. So it's you know. Yeah. Did you all grow up in Glasgow? Um, I guess I grew up kind of outside Stirling, which is kind of slightly more central. And Ian was on the other other coast. On the other uh, side. No, I was okay. pretty central as well. Yeah. West Lothian, right in between Edinburgh and Glasgow. So about the same Amazing. as Stirling, but a bit south. So did you have to travel to go to shows? Because obviously you were a little bit outside of the cities. Yeah, I mean, the first show I went to was um, was The Cult at Livingston Forum, which oh is actually God. really close to where I grew up. Yeah. But I can account that, and the same week Aerosmith played, and I was uh, in the front row for that, and I didn't expect that I was going to be crushed to death, but I pretty much was. I mean, it's Aerosmith, <clears throat> man. They, so get, they my, get crazy. Yeah, that was my first two two gigs, and they happened in this, the, the same week, which was kind of mind-blowing. Did you go with your family or with your mates? No, I went like, with my remember? mates, yeah. I remember the, um, my mate's mum got us tickets and mm. we ended up going. Um, I love that you can say, how old were you? Were you also... 15. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So super no young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you just saying that because we're live? Yeah. Uh, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you, Lauren, what, what was your first show or at least most memorable, I suppose? Those are two different things. So maybe your um, first show. Well, I guess my entry was probably a bit different because I was like a pre-teen girl that liked boy bands because that's what you're told to like. Yeah. Um, so I went to see a band called Boyzone. I don't know if Loved they're... Boyzone. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm from South Africa, so we got uh, everything. You got Boyzone too because when, we like when you talk to American journalists, they're like, mm, they did Because they know. had their own... They had like the kind of top tier NSYNC boy bands. And, like, and then NSYNC. I was very into NSYNC. So was I. I was, I was pretty into the Backstreet Boys, um, but I was very into NSYNC and I was into Boyzone. There's another saw, one. What's the other one? With 98 that? Degrees. Thank you. I was yeah. like 99 said something. No, no. 98 <laughs> specifically. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff. And then there was like Smash Hits magazine tour. So there was like just a bunch of those kind of pop bands on one tour. After that, it was like Green Day on yeah. the American Idiot tour. And I think the first like non-pop show I went to was Jimmy Jimmy Eat World and maybe that's I think that's why I have uh, I'm conscious of crowd surfing because I got there super early I was at the doors and I was like going to be like a few rows from the front yeah. and then I, it was like first song wiped out by a crowd surfer I had to get pulled no. out 
Yeah, and I had to get like tended to by the first aid and stuff. <gasps> and yeah, so I think when I see those things, I'm like, no, yeah. I know how badly this is going to go for you. So, yes, it looks very dangerous. Well, but people must get something that. exhilarating out of it. I just, I don't know. You know those know. ones that like stand, I don't know if you've ever seen, I'm like calling them those ones, like lumping them together, but those guys that like stand, but then they turn their backs and they like fall back into the oh. crowd. Have you seen those My favorite servers? ones are ones that have got backpacks. I'm like, yeah. don't. And, <laughs> have yeah. like machinery on, yeah. Yes, I'm like, why are you gonna, I guess that's where you're carrying your stuff, you know. They're there all yeah, day. Yeah, where would they, to think about it, where would they leave their backpack if they, they can't to crowd? So it's I respect their commitment. It's a great way to get out of a, a spot, though. Yeah, rather than being like, excuse me, excuse yeah. me, excuse me, <laughs> trying to get out. <laughs> the new thing I see at shows is the, the human tower. The human where, like, tower? Everyone, like, they try and get, like, three stacks of people on each other's no. shoulders. Like a totem pole. Yeah, like That's a totem totally pole. That's totally a thing. I see it actually all the time now. And the, the other one is people trying to literally stand on each other's shoulders. Yeah, you ever seen like that? a like a trapeze artist. Yeah, yeah. that takes some <laughs> skill, by the way. That's like that. There's something in that. But everybody always looks so happy when they're doing all these things. Like the amount of stuff. I mean, you've obviously toured and gone to much more shows than I have probably covered. But mm. you know, I was actually looking at all the different places that you've been because I was trying to like map when I first saw you and covered you. I think it was like Roskilde. When I first got to shoot you, mm. that was like... It's a cool festival. I think it was two years ago. But you guys have traveled, have toured so much over the past few years. Does it feel like you've been able to see the world? Or do you feel like it is absolutely part of your job and it hasn't really... You know, it's just something that you're doing. It's part of you. Or do you, do you feel like you've been able to actually travel and see places that you visited? I think a little of both, probably. Yeah, I think sometimes people have the misconception that you have a day off in every single place. No, so much time. But that's just not practical. Mm. And, you know, but sometimes you definitely do get evenings off and maybe the odd day somewhere. And I think you just need to figure out the balance. You're like, for your health, do you need to, like, chill out today? Or should you take advantage of this mm. and go see things? And I feel like... Yeah, we're really lucky to have got to... I don't know, I never was in a band that could get any shows outside the UK, let alone anything else. So I feel like it's been really it's been really fortuitous. I think that it's strange, I suppose, when you first you get asked that weird question. But I think, for me, I'm really curious about it because every single person, no matter if they're a musician or just a general artist, how they handle the time... That, it's that sweet spot between your performance and being like a normal human being, I think there's a huge misconception about what you're actually doing with that time. I once like spoke to Ozzy Osbourne, who's like really lovely and sweet, and he was like, the worst moment is the waiting for him to go on stage because he's so bored, which is why he obviously turned to drugs and all the, you know, all the things in his life. It's such a difficult space between, you know, deciding like, right, do I actually like put effort into living yeah. or, you know, and put it all one, into One of the big problems as well is um, it's the difference between all those hours of boredom and that one or two hours of right. intensity and adrenaline. And how that's And you're extremely so high if it's a great <laughs> show. 
and then uh, you know and then you come down again and uh, I think that managing between those kind of peaks mm. is, is a really difficult thing to do mm. just watch a lot of TV <laughs> do you watch I wanted to ask you what you Netflix. do because there's so many things that you could do to buy time and also you mentioned like keep your health in check and keep your brain mm. stimulated that you don't just go crazy well, what, do you, like, what do you watch nights like this is fine you can go to yes. the gym you can watch TV you can do yeah. all sorts of normal stuff like, like you're just hanging out in your house it's a little bit harder if you're in a, like a festival dressing room where it's oh, just like right. a little box where you sit for five oh, hours or something but it's, it's not like I'm down a mine you know it's, fine. Mm. it's not a bad job just playing Nintendo and watch Netflix for a bit bit of glow I like a bit of glow right now you, yeah. I just glamorous ladies of wrestling yeah, that's brilliant <laughs> but yeah I think I don't know it's like learning about yourself and learning about each other like I think I definitely do right. different things to fill the downtime now than I did when we started the band um, really? Just more like positive. I think I used to just fill it with more work, like self-created mm. tasks, kind of. And now I feel like it's important to have a balance between like, you know, doing it like a bit of exercise or like a little bit of work or a little bit of glow or whatever. Yeah, because you, know? you can't be on it all the time. Yeah, I think it's about kind of trying to... I don't know, maybe it's a, an age thing, like, not I'm, that I am aged, but, like, get, you know, being a little bit older and be like, okay, like, check in with yourself. Mm. What do you actually need? Because I think that a lot of musicians don't think about that as much as maybe it's good to, because, mm. you know, physically you could be okay or mentally, but if you're not mm. feeling great on either of those fronts, then the show is not good. So ultimately, at the end of the day, it's for your benefit, but it's for the benefit of the tour. So. Yeah. I, I think that it's, I know that you probably feel like you've maybe said this before or other people have said this, but I think that it's really important to say that and I really appreciate you saying that because <laughs> people are so often like, whoa, let's party. And I had the most amazing chat with Y Oak about it. I don't know if you know, oh, Jen yeah, and Andy yeah. are like, Jen was saying how she obviously hates touring and oh. she is so <laughs> conscious of that time and she doesn't want to work so hard in between the moments because she's like, I really need to break. Mm. Um, so it's really interesting how that you said that that, yeah. that changed over time. You know, as you, you do get older and more experienced and realize that you need to have a little bit more self-care. Yeah, so that's I'm just figuring out. I think I used to use work to fill... Because uh, I, th I think in some ways I'm quite like organizing something makes me feel a little bit better because it's mm. like you're controlling some things you can control in a job where you don't really get to control very much. But mm. I think sometimes I could take it too far, and I'm like, I would just be working on something at some point all day, mm. and I'm like, okay, that's not good because you need to at some point switch your brain off. Like I think that's the trouble with touring. Sometimes your mm. brain is so switched off because you're not doing anything creative and you're not doing anything intelligent really. Mm. Not that playing's not intelligent, but you're not really in using the downtime. Yeah, right. Then, on the other side, you don't want to be constantly working because then you're not... I don't know. I feel like somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle is a healthy balance. Audiobooks. Just discovered, <laughs> just discovered audiobooks. Never really... I haven't listened to an audiobook since I was like 10. Yeah. It's, such so. a, it's like a road trip thing. It's a big thing now, though, especially with just like... I can imagine if you're traveling all the time, you can't be carrying around mounds of books, although... It's lovely to or have. Kindle. Yeah, or Kindle. Well, yeah. And I was so, so reluctant to do that because I was like, no, I don't I want to read real books and mm. hold them and lend them to people afterwards and stuff. No. But it's much easier to have now. And then when we talk about a book, I can get it. I can get it. <laughs> yeah, and I can, can just get it, it right there. That's it. So, yeah. But, and also traveling together, do you, this might sound like a strange question, but I suppose I'm wondering, do you 
get to check in with each other, seeing as though you've played with each other for so long and toured all over the world together, I don't know. Do you, do you spend all the time together? Spend Maybe trying, time trying to get away from each other. I mean, you're sitting spend in the middle. Like I like your hour, position. Ten you're really hours trying a day to get together. away. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's uh, you. You know, by default, spend an exceptionally large amount of time together. <laughs> it's just part of the gig. It's mm. like a fam. You spend more time with your bandmates than you do with your family. With your family. Yeah. And uh, that's one of the great things about it because you forge amazing friendships. But it's an unusual state of affairs. Mm. Everyone needs their own downtime as well. Mm. And you can find that. You find it. It's kind of the unwritten rule of like. Don't talk to me is when someone just puts their headphones on. Yes. Yeah, that just says, like, I just need a minute. <laughs> and that's fine. Because uh, staying, keeping your mind right on mm. tour is the hardest thing of all to do. And you need your friends around you. And luckily, yeah, you have them all the mm. time. But sometimes you just need to be alone, too. Mm. And that's that can be difficult. It's easy, much easier now that we're managed to get to a level where we can tour comfortably but right in the beginning of touring before this band it's like you're in a van and it's on <laughs> that's it Ian has yeah. his hands over his that's face that's it you're in a van and America is a big country oh my god you know you've toured more in America I think than you've toured anywhere else right um, our band I think yeah probably yeah how I just moved to Chicago a year ago oh. how do you find Chicago is really lovely. It's easy to acclimate into a place like that as opposed to a New York or an LA, especially I lived in Israel for the last four years. So I went from like South Africa to Middle East to American culture, which is very strange. Very different. Yeah, Yeah, especially as a journalist, because I was covering obviously a lot of the Palestinian uh, issues on the ground and then you get to America and you're like, no, don't want to touch this stuff. Yes, um, yeah, even, by, well, yeah. even I've noticed I was spending time in the States, like that's a different conversation there than it is in the UK. Like there's definitely mm. elements of that in the UK, but it's definitely a completely different conversation in the States than what we are used to, I suppose. Yeah. So but do you, you're probably do you, equipped to handle that discussion in a way that we are not. I've, I mean, do, do you know how contentious South African government is and Israeli government? It's like, I've had enough <laughs> shit you my whole arrest. life. I you want an arrest, so you moved to, like, Obama in America, and then, like, what you got handed. <laughs> yeah, he, Obama's from uh, Chicago. Um, it's dire there, by the way. I'm sure that a lot of the elements of what you also write about, uh, you know, and especially the title of your latest album, there are elements of that um, where you aren't oblivious to the political state of the world. Um, yeah. uh, I was reading just before I came downstairs about Trump's visit to the UK. Um, and I'll say, hmm, hmm, bleak. <laughs> With- <laughs> Very bleak. Why is he even going? I don't I understand. He's I not wanted. I'm not really sure. Um, the inflatable baby is apparently making its way to, <laughs> yeah. s- to Scotland for his visit to Turnberry. So, um, yes, good Scottish police apparently pushed the permit through so the baby was allowed to travel. <laughs> to travel. So, uh, yeah, have an inflatable baby, will travel. Um, <laughs> but Nicola Sturgeon's going to be at the Pride Parade in Glasgow instead of meeting Trump, which... Uh, Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. Do you feel like there is no separation between being an artist and having an opinion about the political state, considering how it affects everyone? Like, it's not just the shit that's happening in America or the stuff that's happening in Spain or 
all these different things? Do you feel not necessarily a responsibility as such, but that the connection isn't, you, you don't have a disconnect, that it's just you as a person can comment on political things? I don't know. I think it's odd when people talk about, well, you should, shouldn't talk about that, you should separate those things. Why is that for you to talk about? Because what do they think songs are written about? Songs are written about thoughts and feelings and how people see the world. So mm. I think there's a difference between deliberately shoehorning politics into a song and making it clunky, and it's not right. actually connecting with anybody. It's not honest in that way. But it's also equally unnatural to remove things on purpose. And I think that that's mm. kind of what got us into a little bit of this problem in the first place. It's like people not caring about things that they personally don't feel like they need to care about. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I don't think that the two things have to... I, that's what's odd when people talk to us about stuff. It's so mm. strange to me because people are like, from like how, a couple of months after the first album came out, people mm. were like, oh, well, you're a political band. And I know, that point, I, I saw like, that. Was like, was but we aren't like even actually at this point saying anything political. political no. We had just said... These are, you know, laid out some pretty common sense concepts, not things that were new or anything. So in that yeah. instance, I was like, if that's all it takes for you to be dubbed political, then fine. Like, I'd rather be that than be on the other team. Yeah. But it just kind of, I think it speaks more to the apathy and privilege of other people in the position than the fact that we were trying to be, like, Rage Against the Machine or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, of course. I think, but there is, I think, a, and I say this with a lot of love there is a lot that you have to deal with in general as a band especially can you imagine a 19 year old coming into this industry and being asked about the political state and not knowing what the fuck where they stand you know not know maybe their family's right wing you never know the you know the politics of their own family so it's really hard sometimes i think as a any sort of press or media to uh, to expect that of a band but I also think from the other side of it, if you don't say anything in this state, there has to be something wrong, you know, because you have to speak for, you have a platform, I suppose. So it's a, it's a, it's a balance. I don't know if you, yeah. don't know if well, you agree. Plus, I think the, something I think is really important is allowing people the space and capacity to grow and change. Like, I don't think the same things now as I thought yeah. when I was 18. So and I think that I have much more respect for is somebody saying, actually, I've gone out and I've met people and I've thought about these things and I changed my opinion. Yeah. But I would say that the, the media should take responsibility <laughs> for some of the things that they do because the conversation yeah. that we have with the media now is very different than it was six years ago. And that's not because suddenly, no offence, everybody in the media grew a conscience and started figuring out maybe she wasn't being a prick this You've whole been time. Like they have only really changed. A lot of the people in the kind of cool alternative mm. press have only really changed the way that they're talking to us or about us because stuff changed around them, the right. landscape changed, so yeah. they had to change, otherwise they would look really jarring. Yeah. And I think that's what's interesting. Like that, They're totally... I'm glad that those opinions mm. are changing, but it's hard to know whether those things are actually changing Real. or you're just saying that because it's the current narrative. And exactly. And it's those people come in with the same level of confidence mm. that they are right in the situation, but their opinion is completely different and mm. they haven't addressed that. And I mm. find that interesting because it's still like... No offence, oftentimes a dude telling me, oh, so this is the problem with, this is what's going on with feminism, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, uh huh. Whereas, like, five years that, ago, yeah. it was most, of, no offence, most of the time, male journalists being like, so explain to me, why why do this? 
Yeah. And you're like, oh. But I do think... You get a lot of shit, though. I'm not going to lie. But it's because you have men interviewing you and or people who are not maybe worldly. I mean, not to say, like, men... I'm not a gender... Hashtag not all men. (laughs) No, not all men. There's so few um, uh, women music journalists as well and culture journalists. So it's difficult. And especially in, like, kind of alternative music and, like, the bloggy culture we came up in, it's not... But then you could say that about anything that's to do with any kind of alternative music culture there's not a lot of space for female voices anyway so a lot, most of the time we were coming up people that we were playing with mm. or the people we were getting interviewed by were mm. dudes and I don't have like I don't know I think that's what's interesting like mm. definitely after the first record came out it was annoying to me that the narrative was like well why do you feel like that about men why do you dislike mm. men I'm like I don't I'm in a band with two men yeah you're in a band with like, like, lovely men there are yeah. men everywhere in my life like it's not about that, but then I think that that's a problem. Like, I noticed mm. the other day, uh, I wore a T-shirt at a show which feels like, girls can do anything, and it was because we were playing in Glasgow and we mm. worked with Glasgow Rock School, and I thought that that would be a nice thing to do. But I did notice on the internet afterwards, there's this kind of strange defensiveness mm. of some some male fans of the band. I'm like, no, just because the T-shirt says that, it's meant to encourage and, you know, what support. I mean, it's not saying yeah. men can't. Like, I don't understand this well, kind of a huge response. Well, like, everything happening. Everybody's on the defense with everything. Yeah. And then, you know, Me Too era, you're going to get asked that as a woman constantly, whether or not you're famous. Every woman has that responsibility. And to be honest, every man has to deal with that as well now. I can imagine, yeah. Martin, you and Ian, I'm sure you both are like having to also question how you how you behave or at least just not... I don't know. It's just, it's very much in the forefront right now. I guess my experience has only ever been being in bands with men, not by choice, but just because I didn't know any other women really that were playing instruments. And Mm. you guys have only ever really been in bands with men. Again, not by choice, but just because of, like, who you knew. So I think it's just been a different experience for both of us. So you see it from a different angle than I do, but you've experienced it. Like, even the other day, we did an interview at a festival for, like, a local radio thing, and this man... Uh, at some point he kind of made a, just made a statement and was like a lot of my friends are excited about this show because they what was he say he's like they they think you're attractive and they like heart eye emoji you and that, like my impulse in that situation was like oh oh well that's I, I don't really we don't really think about it like that yeah but then I think it was one of you guys that were like that's not really a question what is that good and, but then yeah. I think in that instance, that's just me speaking as like a human exactly. being I don't think it's that's what I'm a saying human being there's defend, a line like, yeah it's my friend and this and the situation mm-hmm. that's it's simple to me that like my impulse in that like moment was to just kind of like diffuse it Mm. I think that's the irritating thing when people are like oh people you're very aggressive and mm. you're this and that I'm like no because if you like it's odd that you've been trained to just diffuse things yeah. calmly rather than being like fuck off don't mm. ask me that next yeah. question but I don't know I think it's it's an interesting time that we are living in but I think the it's kind of weird because we don't really think about gender when we're doing anything, when we're hanging out together, or when we're writing songs, or when we're making a record, or when we're playing a show. Like, I genuinely don't think that gender exists mm. when we're on stage. It's like, it exists when we talk about the band. As soon as we announce the record is coming out, or a single is coming mm. out, then we're back on the, the gender discussion. And mm. I think, you know, I understand that we made a point about that, but at the same time, the questions were always gendered anyway, so you're going to have the conversation one way or another. 
you just get to decide yeah. if you're in the driver's seat or you're in the trunk. And I, I think you have every right, as you said, Martin, about having, like, it's your human being. I think you have every right to literally say, that's not a question, next one. You're not being rude. Because the truth is, is that as a journalist, I will speak for us. Obviously, people give everybody a bad reputation, but there is a responsibility that you have to treat people like humans. And I think as my, like I've kind of come to terms with the fact that like that's always going to be a part of the if discussion. I make it's always going to be yeah. part of the discussion. But there is a part of me that feels bad for these guys because a lot of the time it feels like the conversation about the band is derailed by yeah. that because that's all that people can talk about. Yeah, not all they can talk about. But I, I think it's fair to say it's about eighty-five percent of what people talk about See, when it comes with, to with their churches. Band. Yeah. <sighs> Don't well, you think that's well, but it's like, so what frustrating? You do about that's it, really? why I wanted you all on this podcast. I feel like live there is this energy with the three of you that you cannot. It's very difficult to get, especially the type of music you make. And there's pacing, and your pacing is great in your songwriting, and especially how you all perform. Um, I feel like that is really, really interesting to know that process behind yeah. it. Well, that's nice of you to say, but I, I think it's important for me to point out that really it doesn't matter, matter to me what people sure. say outside of the band in right. any way. okay. I know the level of contribution that I've had to the project. I yeah. know what Ian does. <laughs> you know, know what, what Lauren do. does. And that's, <laughs> yeah. and that's fine. It's really flattering to, uh, for you to say that, though. It's nice of you. Of course, I feel like that's the stuff that will hopefully last you know what mm. I mean? That's the stuff that actually matters after the fact when a media trend has passed or when mm. people have moved on with their Neanderthal caveman brains, mm. you know? Like, yeah. And I guess, I don't know, I feel like it's always going to be part of any conversation I have in any work I ever do, but mm. these guys, I do feel frustrated on their behalf sometimes because, you know, it's just like you've just inherited this in some yeah. ways and it's kind of shit. But, you know, I kind of feel like it's just about weathering the storm. If you know what I mean. And your, as I said, live your music can transcend that. You know, it sounds very big to say, but I was like covering this weird thing with Jane. Do you know Jane Birkin and Charlotte Gainsbourg? You know, oh, Serge Gainsbourg. Yes, yes, yes. So they did the press conference before Primavera like a month ago, and the first question they were asked was, "What do you think of the Me Too movement?" And both of them put their mics down and walked out because yeah. they were like. This is not about my music. I just want to talk about my art. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, to be honest, it is okay to feel something about it, but I I quite like that you say that you know exactly what you do, which I feel like by them walking out, they also kind of were like, we know what we do. We don't need this, you know? So I really like that you said that. I think that that's so important to... Plus, nobody's now at shows talking about this, you know? I think that's yeah. the, this is more in the abstract conversation around the band. Like, I feel like when we're writing and when we're playing shows, mm. people aren't standing in the crowds thinking about the politics that surround the band or the social issues or anything like that. Like, they're there because the music is connected with them and yes. they want to be a part of that. And yes. I think that that's what's nice for us is to just yeah. focus on that bit. Well, I don't think we're a successful band because of the politics of our band, you know? I, th- no, I don't think it's about the that. music. I think it's about something completely different. Yeah. What it should be about. And it's absolutely important to address this stuff because, A, it's happening firsthand to our friend and bandmate. Mm. But at the same time, I don't think this is why we're where we are. Mm. I really don't believe that. Why do you think you are still playing together? Because it's fun and <laughs> I like to write music and I'm good at it and it's so are right, these I two. Need to pay my rent. <laughs> yeah, well, no, th- well yeah. No. <laughs> Um, do you, especially with the new album, 
and mixing it with your discography and everything that you've written, do you find it's tricky sometimes to know what to space between certain songs? Because obviously you have to play the hits. People are going to want to play, you know, people are going to want to hear them. <coughs> so how do you mush those three worlds it's, together? It's to easy. Sure? It's just like curating. Um, at mm. festivals, it's different. You have to like make particular decisions to keep the energy levels up because right. people like to have energetic concerts at festivals, usually because they're more drunk or on whatever else. Or at 2.45 uh, in the morning. Yeah, 2.45, I think there are a lot of people on a lot of really shit cocaine. Um, But that's okay, they can do them. Um, At a headliner, it's different. Mm. I think at a headliner, it's more, you get a chance to, A, your album's had a minute to breathe, so you can play some of the weirder stuff off of that. and. Mm. and that you can maybe even go searching through some of the stuff that you think that a hardcore fan might enjoy that maybe a, because there's 3,000 people at the show and not mm. 40 or whatever, you know, that's you can go a little deeper into your mm. back catalogue and, and have a bit more fun curating the gig. That's cool. Yeah, it's just a discussion that we all have. And if somebody has an idea of, like, working up something that we haven't already worked on, mm. you know, we'll discuss it and, uh, and figure out how to make it happen. Do you find that process fun like I know it's I, I know I'm trying to like I'm I'm quite enthusiastic about that because especially I like that you said that there is a difference between playing a little show versus a festival I think people don't realize that you actually have to be cognizant of that fan at certain times of the day you know if you're playing in the afternoon which I don't think you pro- have you played in the afternoon recently? yeah so we play in the yeah. daylight a lot I don't, I don't know if we changed the set around so much times of the for day for that reason okay but there's definitely stuff that we have that works better mm. like in a tent or at night or like for example at 2am or whatever you're going to lean on the more energetic electronic mm. side of your band mm. than than you would if you were playing in like McCarran Park at 2pm <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon you're going to bring a different energy yes. that time you know and both you feel serviced by both you feel like this is you feel oh, like yeah. they're all both fun in a different way like mm. there's you can it can derive a lot of pleasure from playing an afternoon set mm. where people are like you can see them all sitting on the hill or whatever and they're kind of having eating lunch or whatever and having a nice time it's been yeah. a long time since we did like one of those properly but those are also fun but seeing as though you've all been to so many different places do you have the, a favorite show that you've played or actually, you know what? Let's can we start at the first show because I don't even know where, where was the first show that you all played together. It was six years ago last mm. week. Is that right? Oh no way! Yeah. Well, as churches, yeah, we did a yes. couple of like cheeky warm-up shows under a different name in order to kind of like make some mistakes in private, in relative private. Without, what was the name? Know, uh, Shark Week was the oh. name of our uh, our fantasy alter ego. Uh, which Shout out Dave McGee Guys, none of you are laughing concerts. This is very funny We asked our local promoter for like a Who is still our promoter For like a baptism of fire Yeah We wanted a gig that there would be nobody at And then a gig that there would be like a pretty hostile crowd at And nobody knew it was churches But you could see them Because we only had one song out at the time You could kind of see them Over those two warm-ups being like, oh yeah, <laughs> like after a while. Did not play like it was when Lies was online. We played that right at the end and yeah. then ran away. Yeah. Um, How did that go? Do you remember the first one? Um, I think the first was the first one in Edinburgh. It was in a place called the Electric Circus in yeah. Edinburgh. And then after that, we played in 
the pavilion in Dunfermline, supporting a band called The Dreamin'. And I I will say, The Dreamin' and us don't necessarily have a huge crossover fan base from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, In a similar way to Martin's discussion of his Radiohead show experience, I was like, I feel like there's elements of... Yeah, I was like, oh no, (laughs) this may not go well for me. (laughs) It was fine. They were really... uh, I think I saw some... I feel like it was kicking off when it was time for us to go. Mm. I was like, they're going to have a big night in here. Yeah. (laughs) Once to that, the tops were off after we played. A lot of white. white white Small, like, (laughs) pasty-looking guys from Scotland with their tops off, their bellies out. Yep, a lot of cider getting drunk in the car park, stuff like that. I mean, I love that you can elicit that from from your fans. Well, this is what we asked for. Yeah, we asked for a baptism of fire, you know. He, he could have put us on a bill with like some nice indie bands that mm. would have really enjoyed it mm. or whatever, but that's not what we wanted because the first actual gig was really an unusual experience from anything I'd experienced in my life because there was one song out and suddenly all this attention and that. That was when your EP was that 2013? Before, yeah, before it was, we EP. put a song on yeah. uh, Neon Gold. And uh, suddenly, like every A and R, and this sounds like mm. a dickhead thing to say, but whatever, all no, of the A and R's in London yeah, had came, came to yeah. Glasgow, and our wow. first ever show was sold out oh because of people and the buzz around the city or whatever about this new band. And uh, the last That's thing we wanted to do was to for it to literally be the first time we had taken a stage together was to was to be in front of all half of London and then all of the oh, scenesters in Glasgow that I'll tell you what, they'd end your career quicker than they and our guys. Yeah, I'm sure. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that was like, technically the third gig, and it was fine. The only Wait, thing I really you know remember that was the A and R's were gonna be there. Yeah. What did you freak out? Or you, t- I mean, we maybe you were totally sh- Yeah, I was like, you guys will look pretty cool and chilled right now. <laughs> well, I would freak out. Well, I don't. I remember. It's, I think it's the only show I've ever done that tequila shot before. Like our, our manager Campbell, who's also from Scotland, uh, got four tequila shots, and we all did one before we went. And I think that was the first, not even a disagreement, but I think Campbell was like talking about how the venue is quite small, it's quite flat, and I'm quite small, and he was like, no one's going to be able to see you. <laughs> You might have to stand in a box, and then we talked. We went to and fro on this box for like 15 minutes until I was like, "I'm not gonna stand in a box. I feel so stupid. I'm not doing it." And then he was like, "Oh, okay." Like he was just trying to like you know make people yeah. get their money for you know so they could see the person they was could singing. See you. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of glad I didn't stand in the box. I think that would have just. No. I don't remember that really argument. It must have been a quiet argument between you and Campbell. <laughs> I mean, I remember the box. I thought, but I remember that there was no box. There was no box. But I don't remember what happened in between, so now that figures. you know what happened to the box. Like a bar charge came back with like a couple of options for the box, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm not going to stand in an upturned beer crate or a bucket. Like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I think we need to concentrate enough. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to fall off this box and then uh, fall on my ass, and I'll just look stupid. So, mm. but you know, ironically, later, like on the last album, we got like little boxes. Where <laughs> 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 you, you guys on boxes? No, I believe you oh, actually nice. asked for two boxes. Whoa. So you can stand well, like little mini risers, you know. And if you and like you know, I think it's fun to use them as part of the staging of the show. But it's if it's like you have to stand in the yes. middle only on your wee box. So, it's like, oh, I can't. so what you're saying is, if he had offered you a mini riser, you would have said yes. No, I'm not in that moment. No, but you know, 
gotta read the room. Figure like gotta know yourself in that moment. I was like, do I want to stand on this upturned crate of hanging? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Guys, you could just do decision. one of those human pyramid things that you were talking oh, about. Yeah. Hey, that's what he... Yeah, I think I was just like, I don't really feel like confident doing this anyway, and I'm yeah. gonna look like a tool if I'm standing on top of a beer crate. No, come on, that would have so, been ridiculous. You know, the ones that we eventually got for the last album tour, so I was like, these are actual like these are these aren't beer crates, you know what I mean? And I think oh, in that moment, that. I was like, oh, gosh, it's just... I love how like, you have a particular type of box that tiny, you like. This well, is great. you know, I was like, it doesn't... I think I was stressed about the impression that, you know, we didn't really know what impression yeah. people were going to get. And you can't control what people think, but we were so early days. I was mm. like, I don't think the impression I want people to get of it is, like, this mm. tiny, diminutive little lassie that mm. stand, has to stand on a box because nobody I can, can see You her, definitely you know? don't feel <laughs> tiny on that stage, I can tell you. I mean, you move around. Boxes, like, yeah, that's true. It's an illusion. Yeah. We only employ height, imp- height appropriate people <laughs> yeah. as well. We're all really sure. just hobbits really? at the end yeah. of the day. But we, the drummer that we got, ideal. He's like 5'8". Oh, really? Ah, brilliant. Again, so powerful. And I think, it, like, yeah. I don't know, I feel like I want playing shows to be about, like, your playing ability and, mm. like, so much of the stuff... I, I think it's so interesting that so much of it's about body language. Like, mm. as soon as I started changing my body language, people started feeling differently about the shows. How did you change your body language? In what way? Um, I saw a TED Talk by a lady called Amy Cuddy. And she's like a... Was she a psychologist, I think? And she was talking about how like your body language influences your mental state and vice versa. So if you feel depressed or uncomfortable then you'll kind of make inward body Absolutely. I guess we're doing this but people can't see this I know, I know. Like we have like to tell them we are both hunched over physically. we're all hunched, hunched over right over. now yes. Like, yes you'll feel like physically and emotionally smaller but if you kind of I think it's like open body poses and power poses and stuff so basically everything that when you look at like rock performers like Dave Grohl or whatever, like when he's doing the wide-legged mm. stance, that's because mm. he's an awesome frontman. But also, it's like powerful Open. body language. You yeah, know? and then that probably tricks your brain. And yeah, that's so amazing you that you actually did that. So I've watched so many TED talks, and the reason, like, people ask me, "Why did you do that?" I'm like, "I watched the Journal How to podcast, you know?" But I totally, yeah, I really appreciate you even mentioning that. If people are only figuring out who you are now, they're like, "Oh yeah, of course you've been like this all the, t- you know, for the whole time." But for the fans that have known you from the beginning. It's such an amazing journey to watch how you have changed, but not in a way of like, oh, you were tiny, now you're big. In a way of like, everything is so different. Well, yeah, and I think know? it's important for the to develop at its own pace, and we need to right. figure out what we want it to be. And I would rather have it be. I think it should change and evolve over the course of time with every mm. album. But I think if we'd been forcing something and faking something from the start, then it would have ended up being something very different. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and the Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com, Lexi Frame for the artwork, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and the Consequence Podcast Network where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts 
Your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too. For information on new episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at TMBTGPod. And generally, just irritate everyone you know about the show. Thanks again, and I miss you all week. Consequence Podcast Network.